This is a podcast where we play Dungeons and Dragons with each other. Let's go! Hello and welcome to Season 3.5, Episode 1, Consignment. I'm your Dungeon Master and friend, Paul. And before we get started, I just want to say thank you to all of our fans, listeners, and friends who've supported us during this time off. It has been some kind of year, hasn't it? In my personal life, across the entire world. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for sticking with us, for being patient, We hope that you've enjoyed the Make Believe Champions episodes that we've released to kind of bridge the gap. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to those, I would recommend that you do so. There is some context in those that you're really going to need for this episode. And not just this one, but for all of Season 3.5. Specifically, if you haven't yet listened to Brightport Buccaneers, please go and listen to those two episodes before you listen to this or else there might be some things that don't exactly connect for you. So if you haven't listened to those, please go do so. And listen to the Rorag Gook episodes as well, because there's some tie-ins there, especially as we're going towards Season 4. But I don't want to take too much of your time. I just want to say thank you, and we are very excited for you to hear what we've worked up. These episodes will be coming out weekly for the next six weeks. 3.5 is a six-episode arc. Uh, Each episode is packed, I think, with a lot to tell in a short time. But um, I think we've pulled it off. I guess you'll be the judge of that. So I can't wait for you to hear this. Thank you again for listening. But as we step into the story of Season 3.5, I want to give you a little recap of what happened in the first six episodes of Season 3. So let's turn back the clock to the city of Nordentown. Nearing the end of the summer months, Saul, Peanut, Butter, and Jelly, also known as Phil, Bill, and Jill, arrived in the bustling city of Nordentown, a town of horses and, apparently, intrigue. The four of them were headed to Fallen Grove to get Saul there as quickly as possible so that he could help to stop the machinations of a secret organization of people who call themselves the Unchained. Their sole purpose? To release the Crooked Father once again upon this realm. Of course, as things go, when they arrived in the city of Nordentown, they were attacked by strange, draconic creatures. Lizard bats, they called them. Before departing and heading west toward Fallen Grove, they decided to check out this mystery. Apparently, horses had been going missing, and these creatures had been spotted by a few around town. Over the span of the next couple of days, they interviewed folks who had apparently seen them, questioned some people who'd been quietened by some powerful folk in the city of Nordentown. But in the night, as they rested in the Temple of Pelor, a stone crashed through their high-storied window with a note asking to meet them in the forest. Secretly, the four of them set out northward for the forests just above the city. There they met a dark, green-skinned, draconic figure named Kolmas. To their surprise, Kolmas asked for their help. He said that when Marlene Waldegrave had been torturing him and that he had only been eating the horses to survive, he seeks redemption and he believed that Saul could get that for him. That was when the sky opened up. A black and white lightning bolt chased them through the forest, striking Saul, causing him to vanish before their very eyes. We begin in the city of Nordentown, in a large temple in the dead of night. In the room with you, there are seven figures. There's a stout halfling standing on the left side of the room, facing a large ornate desk. He is dressed in the traditional wear of the paladins of Pelor. To his right are seated a slight halfling girl with purple hair and dark clothing as well as a brown-bearded dwarf rubbing his eyes. 
At the desk, there is seated an elderly halfling dressed in full cleric's robes, bearing brightly on the front the son of Pelor. Standing right before the desk, accompanied on either side by two armored humans with spears pointed at his back, is a very strange creature. Over six feet tall, covered in a mysterious black cloak that shifts in the dim light. His skin is covered in dark forest green scales, almost black. A long black odachi is laid on the desk before him. His draconic eyes are closed. His head is tilted in a sign of humility as he is addressed by the figure seated at the desk. So explain to me one more time exactly what are you? <laughs> the halfling looks at the room. Have any of you ever seen anything quite like this figure? No, I have never seen anything like this before. But you've brought him here. Well, yes. I mean, I did see him like 15 minutes ago, but that was the first time. The tall, draconic figure raises his head slightly. I am sorry if my visage causes you discomfort. I simply request your help. And he lowers his head again in humility. The figure behind the desk, dressed in the cleric's robes, stands. You said your name is what again? Kolmas, is that right? The draconic figure gives a slight nod. Well, I am Elbrit Stoutbrush. I'm the head cleric of this temple, the Temple of Pelor. And really, over all the branches, if you will, of this tower, this temple. <sighs> Bill? Yes. What do you think we should do? Bill starts shaking and sweating. <laughs> uh, I mean, if the guy lizard thing creature wants redemption and he's like willing to do anything for redemption, I don't see anything wrong with that. You know, Paylor's pretty redemptive. Okay. Yes, you're right. But what of this Saul, this Satsaurus figure? Where is he? You say he was taken in some flash of lightning. <laughs> what have the three of you gotten yourselves into? And he kind of looks at the three of you. What would your parents say? We are a long way from home, mister. <laughs> Miss Jill, what, what do you think we should do with this lizard-like figure? I'm sorry, I can't even focus on the lizard. Oh? I mean, what would you do if someone you were traveling with just zapped out of nowhere? It is concerning. And you tell me that he was apparently taking you all on some important journey. Yes. Assigned by Pelor and Glaron, the High Cleric himself. Yes. These are all true things. Well, then before we decide what to do with this thing, it might be pertinent that we reach out to Glaron. If this mission is as important as you say it was, and Saul has been taken away... <sighs> Yes, let's reach out to Glaren. He stands and he walks over across the room and there's a large, like, body height mirror. Like, a like not a circular, like an oval-type mirror. And he, he grabs it and brings it over to the side of the room and he sets it up on this little stand. And then he pulls out uh, from around his neck a sign of the god Pelor, a, a, an emblem, if you will. And he begins to speak... A sort of prayer to it and as he does it begins to glow and you all see as the mirror begins to shimmer and as it does you recognize Bill you have been in the office of the High Cleric Glaron before and as he is doing this it, it sort of registers in your mind you've seen a mirror very like this before it's basically a two-way communication mirror and Elbrit steps back, and uh, you can all see at the desk, even though it's a very late hour, you see a very tired-looking high cleric Glaron wearing a pair of spectacles on his head. And at this moment, he you all seem unnoticed by him. Elbrit sort of gives a little... <clears throat> I wave. 
you see Glaren look up to see Bill sitting there waving, uh, and Glaren sort of surprisedly stands. Oh goodness! Uh, um, hello, uh, 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 Bill. Hi. Uh, uh, what? what where? How, how? Are you? Are you with Elbert? And Elbert sort of steps over to the side. Yes, he is here with us. Uh, hi, cleric. We have some business that we need to deal with. It would appear that your uh, new convert, the Satsaris Saul, has gone missing. He went zippity-zap. You see as Glaren pulls his glasses off and immediately stands and walks over before the mirror. What do you mean he's gone missing? Said exactly. We were standing out in the field, and all of a sudden, big old storm appears, and then zip zap, and Saul's gone. Zip zap. Yeah, like lightning. Could uh, tr- give me a, a little more detail. Zippity zap. He was taken by lightning. Yes. Yes. Lightning bolts come forth from the sky. Just normal lightning. It was like black. Interesting. Do you have any idea where he might have gone? I mean, I assume he went in the cloud? As you're explaining to him, like, what has happened, what's been going on, he pauses and says, Give me just a moment. He steps over to his desk, digging around through some scrolls. He pulls one out and speaks an incantation, and you see him standing there silent for a moment, waiting, and then nothing. And then he steps back over in front of the mirror. I have tried to reach him by sending... And I've received no response. So that means he's either dead, let's hope that's not the case, or on another plane. I don't really know how that would be the case. Or there is something preventing him from receiving or responding to sending at this current juncture. As far as I am concerned, I, I, I don't think, was there, were there any remains? No. So you would believe that he was somehow transported. That's what you, you... Jill, what do you think? You have astute vision. Transported is probably the best word you could use. All of him just disappeared fast. <sighs> well, if he was taken somewhere, it would appear that someone wants him. And let me ask you all this. What exactly... What do you know about the nature of Saul's mission? I know nothing. We just know the destination, and that was about it. That's all he would let us know. I see. So he didn't tell you anything about a group of people called the uh, Unchained? No. Why are they unchained? Where is this chain? I'm afraid we're going to have to proceed as if Saul is gone. Dead or taken for the time being. He was heading to Fallen Grove. You all knew that, correct? Yes. 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 He was going there for a specific purpose, and that purpose was to find the Unchained. <sighs> I'm afraid I'm going to have to tell you some things, and Elbrit, and Elbrit sort of perks up. Uh, yes, hi, Cleric. What, what, can I, um, what can I do for, your, for you in your service? I'm going to need you and anyone else in the room besides these three to leave the room for a moment. And Elbrit looks sort of taken aback. But before he can say anything, Glaron says, I, I, I can't explain myself. I simply need you to obey. If I could tell you the nature of this mission, I would, but I cannot. So if you please. He stands there solemnly for a moment. He gets his two guards and Colmas, and they head out the door. And as they're going, and the door closes behind you, Glaron says, what was that figure that exited the room with him, the draconic figure. That was our new lizard man. Uh, he looks uh, more like a dragon, to be honest. We'll deal with that later. Listen, there is, there is a mission that must be completed. I don't have time to explain it all, but it is of the utmost importance. Suffice it to say, there is a force of evil that is seeking to destroy all of creation, and it is connected to the gods. In fact, I would go as far as to say that it is a god. We will call him the Chained God. This being is of such great power that if it is released, if it is unleashed upon the world, it will destroy everything. That's all you need to know at the moment. I I will try to explain things at a later date. For now, I need the three of you to hurriedly make your way to Fallen Grove. Try to find Saul. 
if you can, on the way. Perhaps he is there somehow, but regardless, you need to go. Remember these words. What was chained will be unleashed. And when he says that, there is a noticeable change in the room. The dark around you seems to get darker. The hairs on your neck and the back of your arms stand stiff. And you feel a chill of wrongness. It almost seems like the light, the candlelight around the room and the candlelight in the room with glare in the mirror all seem to dim and flicker. And after a moment, there's a shudder that goes up your spines. And he says, This is the most important thing going on in the world. And Saul was looking for those who seek to bring this thing back to set it free. There are those who would see this world destroyed. They call themselves the Unchained. Our God, Pelor, has tasked us with finding them and stopping them before it's too late, before the autumn equinox, the vernal equinox. And now that task has fallen to the three of you. Well, we gotta stop this then. Yes. So we shall hurry our way there. Which way is Fallen Grove? West. Oh. <laughs> okay, we're going west then. You should have the maps we sent with you before, yes. Phil won't let me have them. I don't trust him. I can understand. Listen, the fact is, is very simple. You all must hurry. You have no time to waste. Then I guess we have to go. He reaches towards the mirror to, like, turn it off somehow. He's, like, <laughs> he's like rubbing up uh, and down no, the no, mirror. No, 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 please, listen. This draconic figure, is he traveling with you? What is, what is he? No. He was with us when Saul disappeared, and he wanted redemption with the Lord Paylor. There is just too much. All right. Bill? Yes? Do you believe that this thing, that its intentions are pure? Roll me an insight check, why don't you? I got a 14. <laughs> okay, all right. With a 14, you feel like this creature was in a state of desperation, really with nothing to lose, at its wit's end when it confessed. And you believe him? Yes. I believe him entirely. Uh, I believe that he was on his wit's end. And he was telling the truth. I see. Then take him with you. What? Take him with you. Okay. You say that this creature is connected to the dragons. And what you've told me, in, in summation, with a black dragon. Correct? Yes. There was a paladin who, from what I have heard, was instrumental in the destruction of that dragon. This creature has somehow survived. Perhaps Paylor has a will for it. You know of him. You know the paladin. So Vance off the wall. That name. He has gone, been missing for quite some time. But perhaps this thing, this creature, can obtain redemption. Perhaps it has a role to play in all of this. Take him with you. Watch him. Teach him. Hmm. Fulfill your role as a man of the Temple of Pelor, as a servant of our God. He is a God of life. He is a God of, of redemption. He is a God of, of good. So teach this Colmas, as you call him, teach him good. We'll probably just shorten it to Cole. If you would like, uh, call Elbrit forth again, and I will explain to him that Colmas is going to go with you and to equip you with anything that you need and to make haste. Yes. Time is short. I go to the door and just like sling both of them open. Hey, um, Mr. Elbert, uh, if you don't mind, we're done talking, so you can go ahead and come in here and... Oh, did he ask for me person yes. personally? Yes. Is um, he... Also, we're going to be taking Cole with us. What? Uh, just wait here. He goes inside, uh, and he's in there for just a couple moments, and he comes back out, and he says, Well, it would appear that everything is in order. We'll give you what you need. Uh, and it, it so sounds like you need to hurry. Yes, yes. Um, we are going to need um, food, provisions. You, you still have your horses in the stables. Uh, I will hurriedly have all the supplies that we can give you in such short notice uh, delivered there. Do you have a cart? 
perhaps. Uh, y- yes, we can we can supply with a cart and cheese. Yes, we'll have the yes, yes, cheese. Okay, yes. okay. As he's speaking, and, and you guys are getting ready to go, Colmas, um, the guards kind of lower their spears behind him, and Colmas steps forward, taller than all of you, very tall, over six feet tall, about six and a half feet tall. He lowers his head in humility once more. He takes actually takes a knee in front of Elbert. I appreciate your hospitality. There is a woman in your city. She held me captive. She was evil in every sense that I understand the word. What was her name? He says, looking to you three again. Oh, yes. Uh, Marlene Waldegrave. She lives in the big house on the hill. Yes, I know who Marlene Waldegrave is. But do you know who she is? You're saying that she's up to no good, that she held you captive, Colmas. Colmas gives a nod. We will look into it. It is a tricky situation, but we'll look into it. We'll see what we can do. In the meantime, you all should probably make your way out to the stables. Um, Bill, tell your mother and your father I said hello. And um, please be careful. I'll try my best. And he salutes him. And then he like turns around. He's like, yo, big man, you're on your way to redemption. And he like holds up a fist to him. <laughs> Colmas looks at you with... You place fist against this fist. It's like it's called a fist bump. He carefully raises his fist to your fist, touches it gently to your fist. And I go. He drops his hand and walks out. There we go. Yeah. Also, we're gonna if we're gonna keep it short and call you Cole. Is that okay? Cole. He turns around and walks off. <laughs> I think that was a yes. And he like runs after him. <laughs> I'm gonna start going to the stables. All right. The three of you head out and you head toward the stables and quickly they gather everything that you need. They hook you up with. They make sure that your horses are are ready. They hook you up with a cart, a couple of your horses to lead it. Uh, and you, you actually are visited by the barkeep, Galinda, who brings some cheeses and foods from the bar where you guys stayed. The Tall Stall, I do believe, was the name of that inn. And they send you out through the city of Nordentown on your way very quickly. They give you enough information to get going tonight, but they you've got your maps to lead you the rest of the way. I'm driving. As you all are heading out, the sun begins to rise over the horizon around the time that you all get outside the city, cross the river, and out onto the road. You're making your way west. You head south a bit and then west, and the day's roll by. It's cold where you're at now. It's cool. I shouldn't say cold. It's cooler weather. But then as you head south closer to the dry lands, you run into some milder weather. As the days pass, the weeks pass, and you finally come to the edge of Fallen Grove. You camp. You reach it at nightfall, the edge of the forest, where the road leads into Fallen Grove on the northern side of the immense forest. As you all set up camp that night, uh, there at the edge over these these days, as you've all been traveling, you've spoken at length with Colmas. And it seems like he has some gaps in his memory. He explains that he died, or he thought that he died, a painful death against some very formidable foes uh, by the command of his master, who he names Demvarga, the black Dracon Kelly, but that she is gone, and he is alone. And you guys have asked about some of the other figures like him because you recall when you all fought him outside of Nordentown there was a red scaled lizard bat figure as well as some small some winged ones one that almost killed Jelly you speak to him about that and he's sort of tight-lipped about them but this night as you're sitting there at the edge of Fallen Grove setting up camp you set up a watch as you always have are you talking about anything I really wanted to know why horses you know Cole why the horses well uh there were plenty of them. It's a sustainable source of meat. What do you mm-hmm. mean? There were many horses. We were, we, we did not feed solely on horses. We devoured a number of wild creatures. Game like venison, I believe it is called. But once we reached Nordentown and we were taken captive, the lady, she fed us with horse meat. For they have many in Nordentown. It is a a town of horses. Hmm. But when we broke free, it made sense to continue with the horses. Oh. Well, I've never had horse meat myself. It's not that great. 
I tend to like the horses. This, you should try this. This is better. I like handing him a piece of cheese. Yes, I have partaken in the soft cheese. Yes, soft cheese is amazing. It is delectable, I must say. Yes. He he takes the cheese, gladly he eats it. We are drawing near to the forest. I have spent much time here with my mistress, my queen. And he looks kind of forlorn. The fire's burning low. It's a cool night. You guys have noticed it's getting cooler. The, the temperature is, is dropping as the time is passing, drawing closer and closer to the autumn season. But as he's sitting there looking sort of downcast, he immediately looks up and very quickly stands to his feet and places his hand on the handle of his odachi. Let's stand up and turn around. He holds out a hand. Before you have a moment to react, a figure steps into the light. He is shorter than Colmas, but stockier, wider of shoulder, and he is dressed in heavy armor. His skin shines with red scales. He speaks angrily in a language that you do not understand. Colmas, in a swift movement, draws his odachi and holds it out between him and the three of you. There is some sort of heated back and forth between the two of them for a moment, and then... The red stops. He's got a great axe in his hand. He turns his head back and forth looking at you all, and he speaks in the common tongue. I see you are going to join with these fleshy ones. My master is calling for you, Colmas. Are you going to abandon the Dracon Kelly completely? Will you continue on this false quest for the gods? Colmas lowers his head for a moment, silent as you're all sort of standing there. I will continue. I will have redemption. Tell your master that I thank her for her kindness. But I must be true now to myself. Veroth. And he sheathes his sword and the red-skinned figure makes a scowl and spits onto the ground, stepping backward. She never forgets. And then he is gone. I just want to look over at Bill. Mm-hmm. What did you get us into this time? Last time we were trusted to guard somebody, he got zapped out of existence, and you really <laughs> thought it was a great idea. Just start over with another victim, <laughs> and I just go sit down. Cole, as he is now known, kneels, sitting on the back of his feet, almost like tradition of like the Japanese, you know, how they sit around the table that way. And he says... Bill, I am sorry for the difficulty I have brought upon your family. It's okay. Because, to be honest, we've done a lot of strange things in our lifetime, and he kind of like looks over at Jill and Phil. We all mess up. Don't do bad things. I have made many mistakes. But if you, if all that you've taught me is true, then perhaps Phalor has a place for me as well. Exactly. And I will help you find these unchained. As I have said, I believe that perhaps my queen was serving with them, or that they were serving her. But now the time has come. We must choose where we stand. I will not go with Veroth. I will stay with the Hicks. Yes. And together, we will do Paylor's will and find many cheeses. Yes. 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 As the four of them drift into a fitful slumber, far away, a group of riders approach the western gate into Branshire. High Cleric Glaron is arriving home late after a rare journey to Brightport. Cleric leans forward over the neck of his steed, his eyes closed in deep contemplation. I just don't understand, Pauline. No matter how often I try, the spell of sending will not work. I cannot reach Sol, and I feel an unmistakable compulsion from my god to do so. And knowing what we learned in Brightport about the state of things in the world, we need his aid even more than I thought. Pauline rides alongside him, Silent for a moment. Is there no other way to reach out to him? 
Perhaps we could summon a cleric from Dimmerhold. Maybe that the God of the Dead could confirm whether or not he has died. At least then we would know for... Wait! Glaren interjects. There just might be another way, after all. Pauline, I, I know you must be very tired indeed, but I'm afraid I must ask you to delay your rest a bit longer. You know Brackle, the ranger? Yes, I know of him. Why? Well, like our tiefling friend, Brackle was commissioned by Palor for a sacred task. And no, before you ask, I, I can't tell you exactly what that is. Suffice it to say that he also will be traveling across the world. Brackle, Saul, and the half-orc warrior Kjorg were all called to this task. Kjorg. Oh, yes, Kjorg. I, I remember him. Um, the people's champion, I think. Isn't that him? Yes, that's him, all right. And now he is Palor's champion. But that's beside the point. Listen, I need you to ride hurriedly to Brackle's home. It's just off the northern road beyond the border of the forest. Go to him. He has a sacred stone that allows him to speak to Saul and Georg anywhere in the world. It may be that the magics within the stone will get him through if some enchantment is all that's preventing my spells from reaching him. Pauline pulls the reins tight in her hands. I'll go immediately, sir. Is there anything else I should ask him or do while I'm there? No. No, I don't think so, but, but hurry. If I'm not wrong, Brackle meant to leave for Venthaven within the week. We can only pray that he has not yet set forth. Quickly, Pauline spurs her horse onward into the night. She rides north around the circumference of Branshire, the glow of lamplight shining over its walls. Darting onto the northern road, her steed breaks into a full gallop, heading straight for the dark forest ahead. Within minutes, she turns her horse off of the road, taking the well-traveled path toward Brackle's home. She'd been here once or twice in the past to collect pelts for the off-the-wall family. A familiar pang wells in her chest at the thought of Vance. Wherever he is... Whatever he's doing, she prays to Palor that he'll return safely home one day and that he'll bring Guy with him. Moments later, the ranger's small cabin comes into view. There is a warm firelight shining through the windows from inside Brackle's cabin. Quickly, she approaches the door, giving it a soft and swift knock. Hello? Um, Brackle? Yeah, it's it's me. It's it's Pauline. I uh, I'm sorry to bother you at such a late hour. Uh, I have I have an important message from the High Cleric Glaron. I I know that you're you're preparing for a long journey, but um, do, do you have just a moment? Could I come inside? Sure, come on in. Have a seat if you like. I I won't be long. So High Cleric Glaron received a message a few days past now from Bill. Our, the paladin, Bill from, from Branchar, you know Bill, right? Butter, yeah. Yes, Butter, that's that's right, <laughs> I forget. Um, anyhow, they were traveling with Saul to, well, Fallen Grove, and apparently they have run into some trouble. It would seem that someone or something took him. They were traveling and they were dealing with some crazy situation near Nordentown, and there was this black lightning that struck him, and he is gone. Hmm. Glaron has tried to reach him by sending and failed. But we were hoping that perhaps with the stone that Zahn gave to you and to Kjorg as well, that you might be able to reach him. Do you still have the stone? Uh, yeah, let me, uh, let me go get it. So he walks to the other side. Mm -hmm. and there's an elaborate cabinet that he has carved and built. You know, there's scenes of woodland creatures frolicking, Hmm. Uh, a mighty hunt carved into it in a relief style. Wow. And he opens it, and there, sitting in a velvet bag, is the stone. And he pulls out the bag, and he pulls out the stone. So you take the green stone, and you approach Pauline. So how exactly do you use the stone? So I hold the stone and speak his name. Saul. Satsaris. There is a moment of silence and no response. Uh, sometimes I don't get the best signal here in the cabin. Oh, have you tried? Have you spoken with him recently? Have you talked to any of them recently? I haven't. I've been too busy with pelts, you know? Right. I know you've been doing a lot to help with the rebuilding of Branshire and just getting everything ready before you leave, but... 
Glenn was really hopeful that this would work. So there's there's nothing else we can do. Not that I know of. We could uh, try reaching out to Kjorg. All right. <laughs> sure. Why, why don't you try reaching out to Kjorg? See what he says. I hold up the stone and say, Kjorg. Kjorg, what are you doing right now? I don't know. Probably fighting somebody. It's nighttime. You guys sparring around like the campfire. What are you doing around this time of night? It's probably around, I don't know, 9, 10 p.m. Kjorg's sparring. He's fighting everybody. Everybody. And not losing. Maybe you and Grip are doing some sparring. Grip is a monster of a man. Not as much of one as me. As you guys are sparring and and clashing weapons, you hear a voice come out of your pack, and it says your name. Kjorg. Hmm? Hmm. Who said that? It's Brackle. What? Where? I look around. (laughs) When did you get here? I'm in the stone. Well, I'm not in the stone, but I'm in Branshire in my cabin, but the stone, it's calling you. Oh. Do you pull out the stone, Kjorg? I do. Okay. It is glowing blue, and Brackle, you can hear Kjorg's voice clearly. Ah, I can hear you clearly now. The rain has gone? The static's gone. Um, Kjorg, this is Pauline. I, I, uh... I work with the, the temple here in Branshire. Can you can you hear me? Never heard of her. Well, that's okay. There's no reason that you would have probably. What do you want? Listen. Is this, are you challenging me? No, Kjord, please. Would you I want to fight Brackle? the people's champion? Brackle, could you ask him if he's, if he's heard anything from Saul? Have you heard anything from Saul? Apparently he's, uh... Disappeared on route to Falling Grove. He disappeared? Yeah, he was on his way, and then he was no longer on his way. Struck by black lightning, mm. they said. Yeah, it's pretty intense. I haven't heard anything from them. Really? <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, you have heard from They've been kidnapped. Who kidnapped him? Somebody kidnapped him. I don't know who it was, though. Did they leave one of those, one of those notes with, like, the magazines cut off? With the letters? Yeah, ransom note. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen any notes. Hmm. Matter of fact, I haven't seen anything. Did they give any reason? Did they know where they're at? They were in Brightport when I talked to them. Were they going after Misk to rescue her? That's where she was, right? Misk was with him. Oh, they got Misk back. That's good news. Yes. But they got kidnapped. Was it the hot feet? It didn't say who it was. This is a roller coaster. Okay, if they were kid, they were taken by someone. Why can't we reach them? But did he reach? He called out to you through the stone. Yeah. Why didn't he call out to me? Oh, it's been in the cabinet. Dang it. <sighs> well, Brackle tried to reach him just a moment ago, and no one answered. He was supposed to go to Fallen Grove for something important. You two, I'm assuming, know exactly what that was. Yeah, he was going to, uh... You don't have to tell me I'm, I'm not I'm not supposed to know. Something important. Yes. Is it going to be alright if he's not there? No. No, probably not. Then what can we do? Can you two go? Brackle, weren't you supposed to go to Venhaven? I am, but if I go to if I go to Fallen Grove instead of Venhaven, then whatever bad that would have happened at Fallen Grove will happen in Venhaven or something like that. And what about you, Cure? What... I'm in the same box boat. Where where are you supposed to be going? Dimmerhold. Oh, okay. Well, um... Pauline, I think this means you have to go. We've, we're placing all of our trust in you. Look, uh, I, I, just, I just got back from Brightport. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what to do. Perhaps the High Cleric will... Perhaps I should go. If you'll trust me. I, I, I need to go. I, I need to go back to Glaren. I need to tell him what you have all told me. Thank you. I'm sorry about your friend Saul. I don't know where he is, and it seems like whatever is going on, we need to make sure that his mission doesn't fail. So I'll go back. I'll tell the High Cleric, and I'll see what I uh, what I can do. Thank you both. Um, I, I should go. Next time you want to fight, let me know. 
I'll keep that in mind, Kjork. Standing there far away in the wastes, the blue stone in Kjork's hand loses its glow, going dark again. The door closes on Brackle's cabin as Pauline heads out into the night, riding quickly once more for Branshire. You all rest, and you gird yourselves next morning, and you enter into Fallen Grove. On the road, upon entering, you all experience the trial of the sanction of Atonia, but it comes to you all very easily. There are a few moments, maybe minutes, of discomfort and, and fear, but then you feel the welcoming warmth of the forest of Fallen Grove. It's warm in here, but... Not too warm, it's cool as well, but not too cool. It's the perfect climate that autumn weather embraces you. The smell of leaves and of uh, the change of seasons as you make your way through Fallen Grove. The days pass as you go, as you travel. Colmas speaks more of his desire to learn, and Bill, you teach him. And it takes a while. Uh, weeks pass as you are all riding, and eventually you come to a point where you have to cross the Kalen River. You come to a major port, the largest ferry, and you make your way across, and then just days away from the canopy, and you press hard. You ride through the night when you can by lamplight, and uh, you are pressing forward as the days are going by you, and you feel that the autumn equinox is ever nearer. Finally, you, following the maps, you come to a point where the terrain begins to dip into a sort of valley amongst this sea of trees. The leaves have long changed from their evergreen to bright yellows and the deep reds and oranges of autumn. But none of the trees are shedding their leaves. All the leaves stay on. It is the perfect, mild weather. And then you reach this valley... When you come into this valley where the map would say that you are here in the canopy, as you enter the glade, you hear the sound of running water down through this valley. What you see is ruins. You see broken wood. You see deadwood trees lying over that look like they have been here decaying for a hundred years. There are vines and moss growing thick all over. This looks like what could have at one point been a very beautiful place, but is now just torn down and destitute. Above you, there's a thick canopy of leaves and trees, but this widespread valley seems empty of life. You can't bring your cart in. You park your horses, and you get down, and you begin to walk through. You're just looking around, thinking you can tell something terrible happened here. You expected there to be, like, a city here, but instead it's a huge terrain of death and rotten trees and... Um, guys, I thought they said this place was like a place of life and happiness. What did we just Isn't walk this into? this supposed to be the canopy? Wasn't this supposed to be, like, a city? I thought this was... Where's the maps? You never let me read the maps. Let me see the maps. I, I'm the map holder. You will ask me. You guys look at the map, and you can plainly see you're, from all intents, you're exactly where you should be. You're in the valley. This should be the canopy. Is there anyone around us? Um, while they're looking at the maps, Jill, why don't you give me a perception check? That's a 10. 10 plus... plus 4. It's 14 total. So with a 14, you can... Um, you're looking around, and you're seeing, like I described, everything's grown over with moss. It looks like... It kind of looks like that no people <laughs> have been here for decades, maybe over a hundred years. It is it is more than anywhere you've been. It's thick grown up with underbrush and trees, but there are so many dead trees lying on their sides and great just you know, just logs of dead wood and there's a smell to it. Not like a stink, but the smell of rotten wood, you know? That sort of damp, musky smell. As your brothers though are looking over their maps, you see you and Colmoss are standing there looking, and, and Colmoss speaks. This place has suffered greatly. Do you know about this? I fear that my mistress may have been responsible for this destruction. Mm. I can feel her presence here, the touch of her power. 
And Jill, as you're looking around, you spot movement. There is a large log hollowed out and rotted, broken over top of another tree. And you see something move and you lock eyes with a small woodland creature. Looks like a fox. Like a bright red-haired fox. And it sort of is moving around the edge of it. As you see the fox, you plainly see that the fox sees you. And when it does, uh, it just locks eyes with you. Hello? It doesn't say anything. But you all hear your sister say hello. You turn and look and you see that she's in a staring contest with a fox. I try to take a step towards the fox. Okay. You take a step toward the fox and you're now sort of shoulder to shoulder with your sister, Bill. You do the same? Yeah. So you two step forward. Then Kolmos, seeing you all do so, he steps forward, placing his hand on his Odachi, and he sees the fox, and the fox sees him. There's a moment. There is a strange sound, a shriek, a a cry that comes out of this creature, and in that moment, the grove that you're standing in, this valley, comes to life as a dozen or more figures immediately appear from behind this tree and from under this brush and all around you pulling their bows with the strings drawn tight facing you swords are drawn and within a moment you are all surrounded whoa well this just escalated quickly i'm gonna grab my axe off my back whoa 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 you go you go to move your hand toward your axe and so you feel two swords pressed up to your neck from either side and before you have a moment to react the fox hops down out of the trunk of this tree, marches towards you all. It transforms before your very eyes into a very short, gnomish woman with bright red hair. She draws a scimitar from her waist, lifting it toward you, Jill, who was in the front, the first one that she saw. And she says, Who are you? What is he? And what is your business in the canopy? The sun is setting on a dark road heading west. There's a horse and carriage tumbling along this road. The black carriage is driven by a short figure, and the windows are shuttered with dark curtains. Voices can be heard from within as the sun makes its final descent and darkness settles over the land. One of the shuttered windows creaks open. A beautiful woman peers up at the dark sky her golden eyes gleaming in the night. High above, the moon beams down on them all, its light as red as blood. She closes the window again with an involuntary shudder. She brushes her hand along her right horn nervously. The moon is still as red as crimson. It must be an ill omen, don't you think, my dear? Her husband turns, placing a hand on her left knee. Do not worry about such omens, my dear. Everything is going to be just fine. Now, as you were saying, he says, turning again to the short figure seated across from him in the carriage. I understand your impatience, sir. I always said Braxton was a bit of a fool, if a competent one. But I still believe that we are best suited for the shadows. Making a move like this, out in the open... This will change everything, my lord. Shiv, surely you do not think that my husband would make such a divisive move without considering every possible outcome. Sebastian is many things, but Rash is not one of them. She says with an endearing glance at the black-skinned tiefling beside her. Thank you, my dear Talia. As always, you are the brightness of my life. Shiv, my wife is right. Raxon is dead. Dinwarga has been missing for over a year. And with her, presumably, the heart. We failed in Brenshire. We've lost our dragon, and now the gods are aware of our machinations. The time for subtlety is coming to a close. Of a certainty, we shall still employ the shadows. That is why you are here, he says, pointing a long finger at the shiv. But the hour has arrived for an exhibit of strength. They think they know our plans. 
They believe they understand our power, he says as his reddish golden eyes turn black in the candlelight. They do not. Shiv nods in assent at Blackfire's words. Sitting back, he turns to the bedraggled figure seated beside him on the bench. Cheer up, Miles. You chose this role for yourself. You might as well embrace it. Miles opens his eyes, looking down at his hands, each still tightly wrapped. It's so strange. He can still feel his thumbs bending and moving at his command, even though his own eyes confirm that they are no longer there. The dull pain throbs as he looks up at his master. I suppose I did. This has been Make Believe Heroes, the first episode of Season 3.5. If you love the show, then go to iTunes, leave us a five-star review. That really helps us spread the word. And if you really, really love the show, then check out patreon.com slash makebelieveheroes. During our time away, we've released a number of special episodes through our MBH Plays series for patrons at the $5 tier and above. Once we launch Season 4, that will move back up to the $10 tier. So if you'd like to catch up on all those sweet bonus episodes, go to patreon.com slash makebelieveheroes and sign up at the $5 tier. Thank you so much for waiting, for your patience, for loving the show, for your support. And we are very excited to finally reveal what happened on Manumi during the span of Season 3. We'll be back the same time next week for Episode 2. Thanks for listening. We'll see you then. We'll see you then.